0: Talk Line Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program, Mom, Zev Brenner. It's been a while, but always a pleasure to have. Avi Moskowitz with us. He's one of the founding partners of the law firm Moskowitz, Colson, Ginsburg, and Shulman LLP. He's an experienced criminal defense lawyer. He's a top one. He's a civil litigator who has represented many members of the Jewish community in both criminal and civil matters. He was formerly an assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. Avi, good to have you back after a long hiatus, so we're glad you're able to join us.
1: Good to be back.
0: Thank you. So, One of the things that we've been getting a lot of calls this week and made the New York Post and a lot of the social media, of course, there was a man in Brooklyn. There was a brisk taking place in a shul on East 7th Street between Kings Highway and Avenue R. And as he was leaving the shul, the allegations that he tried to abduct a young boy, the mother complained, called Shomer, the New York Post picked it up. And then at Murayeshiva, he was apprehended and arrested by the police You are his defense attorney, so tell us what's going on.
1: Well, what I can tell you, Zev, is that the New York Post article and the stories on television uh, that followed that night uh, were a complete work of fiction. Uh, The allegations, uh, the original allegations that... uh, my client at some point lift, you know, picked the boy up and tried to drag him out of the school is simply not true. Uh, thankfully, the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office uh, reviewed the evidence before they made a charging decision and they uh, realized that uh, those allegations were not true and they uh, reduced the charges. And my client is now out on bail and we will deal with them uh, as the time goes
0: on. Just tell us, how does the procedure work from what I read? Again, there's been a lot of accounts. There's confusion. Uh, I guess we'll soon know all the facts. But when the police get a report that somebody is hitting somebody, abducting, so don't they have the charge to arrest first and ask questions later on, as long as somebody's willing to make a complaint?
1: Well, in something serious like this, that's what they're going to do. They're going to make the arrest Uh, and then uh, ostensibly try to neutralize what they perceive as to be a threat. Uh, And uh, then it's up to the uh, prosecutors to review the evidence and make a charging decision. The police don't make charging decisions. The prosecutors make charging decisions. And in this case, uh, they thankfully uh, realized that they didn't have uh, what the police initially thought they had.
0: So they dropped some of the charges, not all of the charges, correct? Well,
1: they reduced the charges so that uh, my client could be released on bail uh, or actually released on his own recognizance. Uh, And uh, now we will deal with the remaining charges. Right now there's just a complaint. There's no indictment. Uh, And I'm hoping that this matter will be resolved favorably uh, without an indictment.
0: Now, what does the complaint allege?
1: The complaint, to let, the the actual charges, if I recall correctly, unlawful imprisonment and and uh, uh, endangering the welfare of a child.
0: So those are the ones that are still remaining to be. Those are the ones that are
1: still remaining, and and they're misdemeanors, uh, which is a lower level of crime.
0: Now, again, there's a lot of confusion. Did the mother drop the charges?
1: The mother. Once the complaint is filed, the mother doesn't have the uh, legal authority to drop the charges. Uh, It's a decision made by the prosecutor's office as to whether or not they have enough evidence to proceed with the charges.
0: I don't understand. If, If somebody says, you know, I think this is let's take this case. I think this man was looking to abduct my child. And then the mother says, you know what? I checked out the evidence or I thought about it some more. Other people spoke to me and I don't believe he was trying to abduct my child. Why would they go ahead if the mother is saying that let's not pursue it?
1: Well, the district attorney's office has to review the evidence and they have to see whether there's enough evidence to proceed. And I'm willing to let them do that, let them do their job. Uh, Sometimes, uh, you know, they get it right. Most of the time, I think they... They try very hard to get it right, Uh, and they try not to. the, The rule is you're not supposed to indict or charge if you don't think you have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So let's let them do their job. Let's let them figure out that they don't have the evidence, and hopefully the charges will go away.
0: Right. No, listen, that's what we hope for. Now, from what was reported in the media that this man is a yeshiva person, he's in learning he didn't want to walk between women, so that's why he put his hand on the boy. The video surfaced after he was arrested. Am I correct?
1: The video surfaced after he was arrested. That's correct.
0: And is that what he's alleging that he used the boy to just to um, avoid going through with women?
1: Zev, I'm I'm not really at liberty to discuss it's what not- my client has said or hasn't said, uh, but I think that the video. Basically speaks for itself. And I think that the DA's office, when they saw the video, uh, made the right ch- decision to drop the most serious charges.
0: I understand that. But until cases in March, I guess your client is in the state of limbo because you're still nervous to what's going to happen until adjudicated.
1: <laughs> the wheels of justice sometimes turn slowly. Uh, hopefully they will move quickly in this case uh, and the DA's office will come to realize that there's no there there, uh, and there was no crime here, uh, but I'm going to let them do their job.
0: I would say in today's day and age with abuse and also in the case of divorce, so uh, they tend to arrest and then let the prosecutors, like you say, file the charges, but they have an obligation, if they have a complaint, is to make an arrest.
1: Look, there we live in crazy times, uh, and uh, people are very concerned about their children rightfully so uh, and sometimes things uh, look one way when that's not the reality and uh, you know I, I'm not going to you know make critical comments about the mother here that would be inappropriate uh, the job here is for the police and the district attorney's office to do their investigation and come up with the right conclusion and I hope that they will
0: I guess or the jury's still out. We'll find out what happens. It's what about a, almost two months, correct?
1: Well, or, the yes. next court, the next court appearance is in two months and uh, the speedy trial clock runs. So we'll see what happens.
0: Now, n- not just in this case, Avi, but I would assume in other similar kinds of cases, if they're, they're going to wait until the court date before they drop all the charges, they don't necessarily have to do it before the court date.
1: They have speedy trial clock, and there are deadlines they have to meet, and if they don't charge by certain times, then the charges get dismissed.
0: Now, in New York, did they change the rules with evidence that in cases where they have to provide much more speedily uh, the evidence, and and that's hampering in some cases, prosecution from going, forward? I'm not talking about this case, in some other cases.
1: Well, the, the rules on discovery are post-indictment. Uh, you don't have to get, uh, until the case is indicted, the government has no discovery obligations, so this that's not uh, at play yet here,
0: right? Because there's no indictment; there's still an investigator investigator stage. Correct. And in general, though, with the discovery phase, it makes it much tougher for prosecution to prosecute.
1: Well, look, I'm not going to uh, cry for prosecutors.
0: Uh, <laughs> You're a criminal and, defense attorney, and, is the, and the
1: difficult and the difficulty in prosecuting. Uh, Defense lawyers and defendants uh, are entitled to know what the evidence is against them so they can make decisions as to how to proceed. Uh, All too often in the past, uh, prosecutors have held on to evidence or held on to exculpatory evidence until the last minute or sometimes past the last minute. uh, And that's why we have uh, discovery reform. Uh, And by and large, it's a good thing. It evens the playing
0: field. Now, Now, from what I understand from other criminal defense attorneys is that since most prosecution ends up in a plea deal, I think what is the number like 90 percent? It's some crazy number like that. So in lots of ways, some criminal defense lawyers have been have had to take on other duties like family court or other courts, you know, where they have to be involved because there's been less work to do because there's so much plea bargaining going on.
1: Plea bargaining has been uh, the main way that cases get resolved in both state and federal court from the beginning of time in federal court, probably 95% of the cases end up in, in uh, plea bargains uh, in state court depending on uh, the jurisdiction uh, the numbers are a little bit different uh, but trials are the exception rather than the rule uh, and
0: is that a good thing
1: depends on depends on your viewpoint obviously if you are uh, if you've if you've committed the crime and you can get uh, a deal and under, and know what your uh, term is going to be, or what your punishment is going to be. Uh, it's a good thing. It's in federal court, it's very difficult, because defendants take pleas and don't know what their sentences are going to be. Uh, but by and large, it, it works for the system. Uh, Judge Rakoff in federal court has talked about why innocent people plead guilty. And that's, Sometimes I think happens because the pressure on them is so great. Uh, there are mandatory minimums in certain charges or the federal sentencing guidelines are so strict that clients are afraid to take the chance to go to trial. Uh, it, the The system has its pluses and minuses. It depends uh, on your viewpoint and, and where you sit.
0: So here's a discussion that we've had on this broadcast over the last couple of years with various Defense attorneys, Nat Lewin, Alan Dorschwitz, others, can a Hasidic man or somebody who obviously looks as a religious Jew appearing in a courtroom, can one get a fair trial, considering most of the juries don't have Jews on there? And we have such great anti-Semitism in this country today, including in New York. So I hear that a lot of Hasidic defendants are told to make a plea bargain because they can't get a fair shake if they went to trial. What is your opinion about that?
1: I don't want to say it's impossible to get a fair trial. Uh, I, I would say that it is difficult. Uh, and I, and I, by the way, I want to, I want to expand the the question a little bit. It's really to anybody that is considered different or other, not in the mainstream. Uh, it is difficult to. Uh, get a fair trial. You know, it, if you are, if you are uh, some sort of minority and you are not going to get many uh, people who look like you or sympathize with you or even understand your, you and your culture, uh, it is going to be difficult to get a fair trial.
0: Uh, it's not that impossible. Like you got to work hard at like it. Like an Asian American, would they have the same difficulty as a Hasidic Jew?
1: Look, I have represented uh, Asian Americans, and I have found uh, it is difficult uh, for them because, because they, their language is foreign, their customs are foreign, uh, the way they interact is, is different uh, in many respects than uh, most, what most Americans are, are used to. And so uh, at, oftentimes it is difficult for Asian Americans uh, to get a fair
0: trial. We're speaking with Avi Moskowitz, one of the founding partners of the law firm Moskowitz, Colson, Ginsburg, and Schulman LLP. He's an experienced criminal defense lawyer and civil litigator, and he's represented many, many members of the Jewish community. He also was a former assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, and he is defending the uh, man who was uh, allegedly kidnapped a boy, tried to kidnap a boy in Brooklyn just the other day. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. You are listening to the TalkLine Network. You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program. Mom. Zev Brenner, Alvy Moskowitz. He is a criminal defense attorney, civil litigator. He's representing the man in Flatbush who allegedly tried to kidnap a young boy. He also is involved with many different cases affecting the Jewish community. Let's take some of your phone calls. Let's go to Saul and Flatbush. Saul, long time. We haven't heard from you. Welcome back. You're a guest. Um, the question that comes to my mind is uh, this fellow that's being uh, charged, did he at all, you know, when the mother confronted him about the child, did he make like a, a, a good, honest attempt to at- to the mother exactly the, you know what he was trying to do. Or that it didn't look like what it seemed to look like, or you know, try to explain to her that it was simply an innocent type of thing. Did he try to explain that to the mom?
1: Uh, I'm really not at liberty to talk about the facts uh, more than what's already been reported. Uh, like I said, I think the the DA's office has to do. Their interviews, they have to do their investigation. And when they do, they'll find out the facts. And what they'll find out is that uh, there was no crime here.
0: Okay. So okay. thank you. So, sure. So, let me ask you a procedural question, Javi. If somebody is in a situation, I'm not only referring to this individual, a police officer wants to charge you with something should you be speaking and trying to defend yourself to the police officer should you demand to see a lawyer first should you call a lawyer before you're arrested tell us the procedure because i think people sometimes think they can talk their way out of it and sometimes end up in more trouble because of it
1: uh as both a former prosecutor and and a criminal defense lawyer for many many years uh what i can tell you is uh you're not going to talk your way out of it when they come when they come to to talk to you, uh, they already have usually a complaint of some sort, uh, and they're looking to build their case not to be talked out of it. So your best bet is uh, ask for a lawyer, uh, and if there's something to talk about, do it once you've got some sort of protection.
0: So in other words, in, this, in, in a case where they're coming to arrest you, just let yourself be arrested, ask to see a lawyer, don't talk to them, don't volunteer any information.
1: Absolutely, positively.
0: Now, can you demand the lawyer before they arrest you? Say before you arrest, you can I have my lawyer present.
1: Well, they if they're coming to arrest you, they must advise you of your rights. Uh, the, the The police will often try to uh, make nice and try to talk to you before they arrest you, uh, and before you're in custody, they don't have to advise you of your rights. So, if you realize you're under investigation, uh your best bet is uh when the police come to talk to you say what's this about and then i want my lawyer
0: and and then your lawyer can either be present when you're either after you're arrested but the chance they're not going to wait for your lawyer to show up there they're, they're going to arrest well, you for
1: well if they if you ask for your lawyer and they continue to question you then uh nothing that you say will be usable so the police know uh, that they have to stop. It's a violation of your rights.
0: What are some of the things that people should be aware of? Because people, I guess, when they're in a situation where they're going to be arrested or a police officer is telling them something to do, like at a rally, they can arrest you. If they say, say, move and you don't move, they can arrest you. And we, and we see, for example, in Memphis, where sometimes there's also over overextension of the police. We don't have that same way in New York. Like in Memphis, we had five uh, are in serious trouble, but we're seeing that there Must be more coordination between how what people should be interacting with the police.
1: Look, if you've done nothing wrong, uh, be respectful, follow orders, uh, don't put yourself in harm's way. That's that's obvious. Uh, if you are under investigation and the police are coming to talk to you uh, to try to further their investigation or try to get evidence against you uh you never know what you say that might be harmful so your best advice is keep your mouth shut ask for a lawyer uh and wait for your lawyer to arrive before you say anything and and even if they then arrest you and put you in the car if you start talking spontaneously uh, without the police asking you anything uh, then you're putting yourself in danger because they can use that information
0: are they recording the information when you're speaking because of the body cams today
1: police officers there's a good chance they are if they're if they're doing their job and they they turn on their body cam yes then everything's going to be recorded
0: because if the body cam is not on, then certainly they can say, you said this, and he'll say, I never said that, right? I'm sure that comes up a lot.
1: Well, if the body cam is not on, the police have other problems.
0: <laughs> so the body cam is supposed to be on any time they're interacting with the public.
1: When they get out of the car, when they get out of the car to interact with the public, or when they're a, a, approaching an area where they're you know, uh, responding to a call, they're supposed to put on their, their body cam
0: which I don't want to harp on the Memphis case, but it seemed to me the body cam was on, was on. Why would they engage in this behavior when they know it's on video? I just don't understand it.
1: Look, that's that case is a tragedy. It's a mystery. Uh, I don't know the facts. Uh, eventually we'll find them out, uh, but it, it's a disgrace.
0: No, it certainly is. What are some of your biggest challenges being a criminal defense attorney?
1: look uh, to the extent that you're representing Jews let's take that first. you touched on it before uh, it is we live in a time of tremendous anti-Semitism and uh, there's it's difficult to get a fair shake uh, You have to work uh, very hard and you have to Make sure if you're going to trial, you have to work very hard on jury selection and get open-minded people, people who are not going to judge you by the way you dress or by the way you speak, and that's difficult. Uh, it is particularly difficult today. It's always difficult uh, to represent criminal defendants because the you look at the statistics, and and the statistics are uh, that the overwhelming number of cases that go to trial uh, end up in conviction. So you know you, you're all, you're starting behind the eight ball, uh, but that's that's a a big problem when you're representing uh, members of the community. Uh, but in general, look people want to believe that the police and the FBI and law enforcement uh, get it right. Uh, And uh, it is, as a defense lawyer, it is difficult to convince 12 jurors, 12 New Yorkers, or 12 Americans that the government got it right, got it wrong. Uh, You know, and, and by the way, it is difficult for defendants to have the courage to say you got it wrong and I'm willing to go to trial and risk the extra penalties that come with going to trial uh, and stand up for for what they believe is right. So very often you'll get clients who are saying, uh, I can't risk going to trial. Uh, And even though I believe I'm innocent, even though I know I'm innocent, I'm going to take the deal because this way I can survive whatever penalty they give me uh, on a deal. But if I go to trial and I lose and I get the, the, the more severe penalty, I can't survive that.
0: But listen, when one is on trial or one is, to, you know, has an indictment, it's the, the resources of the United States government against an individual. They have unlimited resource. Unless you're very wealthy, that makes it a challenge. It also could take years. Um, it's expensive, takes a toll on the family. So that's, I would assume that's probably why the majority of people will take a plea, even though they believe that they're innocent, is because of all the factors I just enumerated.
1: The power of the United States government, the power of the state government, the, you know, the, the district attorney's offices, uh, by and large, uh, far exceed what a, an individual defendant can, uh, can afford. And uh, it is the rare defendants, you know, very often you'll get the, either the wealthier defendants or the defendants who are, uh, who they're, where their companies or their insurance companies are paying for their defense that could really afford to, uh, to get the top quality defense. Now, that having been said, uh, the court appointed lawyers, and I do court appointed work, uh, certainly in federal court, the court appointed lawyers are very experienced very capable. Uh, and they're given the resources that they need to defend. Uh, but again, the the risks involved in going to trial are often so great that many defendants will decide, I have to cut my losses.
0: Now, very true. Now, in New York City, with bail reform, so how has that changed, let's say, the works of, of yourself and other criminal defense lawyers with no bail and people keep getting out, in and out, and if you do a certain crime, you steal less than a certain amount, they did not even bother going after you. How has that changed things as far as your practice is concerned?
1: Zev, I, I, I'm going to tell you that I think that the, the public perception of bail reform uh, is way off base, and and we have to go back to uh, why bail reform was put into place in the first place. Uh, what was happening was, and that people who were poor, who were arrested even for minor crimes, uh, they would get $500 bail and they couldn't afford to pay the $500 bail. So they'd be in jail longer uh, waiting for trial than if they had gone to trial or pled guilty, they could have been out. Uh, So the bail reform system or the bail reform law was put in to avoid that kind of situation. And in state court, the backlog of people waiting for trial, you could be on Rikers Island for years before you get to trial in in the Bronx, for example. Uh, And so the bail reform law was designed to avoid that problem and to get people certainly with who committed nonviolent crimes out so that they can resume their lives while they wait for trial.
0: But I think the the problem is not so much the first time, but you have recidivism where you have the same person can do it 10 20 times and just be let out and and with a slap on the wrist so well, i think that's the, where the, problem the same lies.
1: person the same person can be accused of doing it 10 or 20 times we still live in a system uh where uh you're innocent until proven guilty uh and the fact that uh you're arrested another time doesn't mean that you've committed the crime and and if we're talking about Relatively minor crimes or certainly non-violent crimes, uh, keeping somebody in jail for a year when they are when they would have gotten 30 days, for example, if they if their case had been processed properly and and on a, in a timely fashion is just not fair. And we wouldn't stand for it if it were members of our community that were going through that. Uh, and it, it by and large. Affects minority and and poor people, and we shouldn't allow that to happen to them either.
0: Now let's also look at the case of Joey Borgen, who was beaten up at a rally, going to an Israeli rally, about a year ago. Um, the person who there was a gang of individuals who did it. The first person, I believe, made a, a, a plea bargain for six months uh, in prison for this heinous crime. So we're seeing also where Alvin Bragg, the uh, the DA of Manhattan, is. Is again being very loose as far as prosecuting these heinous crimes. Six months for that kind of thing is 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 a joke.
1: Look, you can criticize uh, prosecutors or prosecutors' offices for individual cases, just like you can criticize defense lawyers uh, in in any particular case. Uh, God knows, uh, all of us on the defense side have faced uh, the question of how could you represent that person? Uh, or how could you have cut that deal? Or don't you feel terrible that somebody who did this got out uh, you know, early or got, you know, got a sentence that, is, that, that the public feels is inappropriate? Well, first of all, the public doesn't always know the facts. And the public certainly doesn't always know the evidence. So uh, what is reported, as we saw this week with my client, what was reported about the case isn't always accurate uh, and what the evidence or what the admissible evidence that the prosecutor has isn't always what is reported in the papers. So prosecutors make decisions based on the evidence that they have, what they can prove. And by the way, sometimes they make decisions based on who the the defendant is. Uh, you know, if, if a defense lawyer does, does his job correctly, and they have a sympathetic defendant, for example. They may say, look, this is a good guy who did a bad thing, who lost his mind momentarily. Uh, and therefore, he needs to be punished, but he doesn't need to have the book thrown at him. Give, him. give him a break. We do that all the time. That's part of our job.
0: And by the way, in the case in Brooklyn with the alleged abduction, I think the video plays such an important role in today's society. And I think the video is where you're going to find the most success in this particular case.
1: Well, thank God. Thank God there was a video. Uh, I I only wish that the press had waited till there was some evidence before they reported uh, on it uh, because the reporting was so off base and so horrific uh, and Unlike you, who thankfully has kept the, my client's name out of this discussion, uh, the newspapers and the television did not. Uh, and uh, that's their shame.
0: Is there a recourse where he can sue, whether he, the New York Post or some of the other media outlets are calling him a creep in other names?
1: Look, I, I think this, you know, whether, whether he takes that recourse or not, uh mm-hmm is for another time, Uh, you know, uh, there were charges or there were, there was a complaint uh, initially made. Uh, The Post is going to say they just were reporting on uh, what they, what uh, the allegations were. Uh, The colorful language that they used was inappropriate. Uh, They got their facts wrong, but that's because the initial reporting on the facts was wrong, uh, and people said things that were simply not true. The guy, some guy, got on television and made allegations uh, that, as if he saw something, and it simply wasn't true.
0: Avi Moskowitz, uh, thank you for joining with us. We hope to have you back again. It's been a while, but thank you for giving us something to think about—not just in this case, but also in general. What uh, what one should proceed, uh, especially when getting involved in such a situation. So we look forward to having you back again.
1: Thanks, Zeb. Great to be here.
0: That's Alvin Moskowitz. He's a criminal and civil lawyer, formerly a prosecutor here on the Talkline Network. One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is Talkline with Zeb Rana. He is so smart, and he is so innovative, and he has so many interesting guests. I don't know what Yiddishkeit, I don't know what New York, I don't know what the world would do without Zev. So Zev, Yashikach, may you go from strength to strength and keep keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values. Thank you for tuning in to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community. For
1: continuous Jewish programs, TalkLineNetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641 741 0389 For past shows you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org Thanks for listening to the talkline network.com Follow us on
0: Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.